You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I think we're all pretty... We've known each other long enough that we can say if something's not good without hurting each other's feelings because I've always said, look, if you don't say something sucks... The fans are going to tell you it sucks. The social media is going to tell you it sucks. So you might as well be your, you know, get it out there, you know. But we're not, we're all like best friends, so we don't ever have any, you know, every once in a while, like anybody will have disagreements on stuff. But uh, that's what, that's the thing, you know, if, um, if we had all been there together, we all would have, that would have been a lot easier. Cause I was like, that sounds good. You know, like I kept sending, I would, it, it took me two weeks ago. Is that good enough to send to them? So weird. You know, that's weird, man. I don't know. COVID would just made me weirder. <laughs> hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Middle Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians who talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. I hope you had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. Welcome to the first episode of Vox and Hops, Sober February 2023. Sober February is once again sponsored by Pitch Black North, the Satanic Tea Company. I'm super stoked to have Pitch Black North sponsoring Sober February for the second year in a row. They make delicious tea. All of their teas are ethically sourced and only created in small batches. If you would like to pick up some Satanic Tea, you can do so by going to Vox and Hops.com slash satanic tea. That's V O X A N D H O P S dot com slash satanic tea. The satanic tea lord himself has created a promo code for all you Vox and Hops heads. So when you're checking out, use the promo code Vox Hops 15. That's V O X H O P S 1 5, and you will save 15% off of your entire purchase. I'm beyond stoked to have Pitch Black North sponsoring Vox and Hops' sober February. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter. They put on a bunch of killer gigs all year long here in Montreal, and we have just announced the third edition of Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops Brutal Montreal. This year's edition is on April 15th and is at M. Tellus and features performances by Clutch, Amigo the Devil, and Nate Bergman. If you're going to come to this show, you should pick up your tickets real soon because the tickets are disappearing. You can head on over to voxandhops.com slash Brutal MTL. That's V O X A N D H O P S dot com slash Brutal MTL, and you will be taken to the official site where you can purchase your tickets. I'm beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal podcast. Now, today marks the beginning of something brand new, something that I've been wanting to do for quite a long time, and that is to promote artists by playing their music on the podcast. So, this new segment is called Vox and Hops Artist Spotlight. And the very first artist that I'm going to spotlight is a killer band called Verminoth. And here is their killer track, Malignant Gestation, which is the first single off of their upcoming EP, Grotesque Manifestation. Get ready, everyone. Check this out.
sick verminoth's malignant gestation it's the first single off of their upcoming ep grotesque manifestation the ep drops on streaming platforms on april 2nd they also have some gigs coming up in baltimore harrisburg and philadelphia go check them out verminoth massive cheers to you guys for being on the vox and hops's artist spotlight now before we jump into today's episode i'd just like to ask you to follow the vox and hops metal podcast on the podcast platform of your choice but more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that is an avid horror fan, well, you should let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You can tell them that there are over 390 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians, and we talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer. If you would encourage one of your horror-loving friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be joined by Wednesday 13, Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 392. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today I'm with Wednesday 13. I'm very, very stoked to be with you. It's always nice to catch up with people face-to-face in my hometown. You are playing at Fufone Electrique tonight in Montreal. Love Montreal, obviously. I live here. Let's start with a very simple Wednesday. How are you doing? Doing good. We made it across the border. That's always a good sign. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was actually the first time we got across the border with not too much of a, of a hassle. It only took us about... 45 minutes, I think, totally, to go through the whole bus, and that's pretty unusual for uh, for what we've experienced in the past. Do you feel that you're typecast when coming across borders? Well, our our uh, <laughs> our records speak for itself, so <laughs> whether we look good or bad, they're still going to read between the lines and go, well, you did this a while ago. Oh. So, uh, so, yeah, luckily I'm... Uh, I'm 12 years out of uh, any bad law court type thing, so so they didn't pressure me too much. Well, that makes me I happy. Set, I had to set to the side for a few minutes, and like in a little booth, and then you're good to go. That makes me very happy that you're here with me tonight, and we can have this conversation. Vox and Hops is typically two metal friends sitting down, talking about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer, but this is for Sober February, so you are a sober artist, and I like to speak to sober artists. I think it's very important to showcase people that have realized that have issues with alcohol and have moved on to something else in their lives. Uh, So this episode is sponsored by Pitch Black North, the satanic tea company. They sent me a little package for you to enjoy with their Antichrist pumpkin spiced a better name for you I can't imagine yeah. I, I just and Satanic Royalty the Midnight Satanic Tea Company collab so I hope you enjoy those uh, let's just jump straight into the thick of it uh, I love asking this question I get to see who you were what you were like growing up what your influences were the soundtrack of your youth when you're growing up in your parents or guardians house what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio what music did your parents or guardians listen to basically uh, well I was going to say old country but at the time it was new country <laughs> uh, so I just remember early 80s uh, just we had a little 
brown radio in in the kitchen and it was always on and it was always playing uh, the current country music at the time and of course uh, you know you don't like what your parents like for the for the most part so country didn't appealed to me uh yes. so so you know i <laughs> lived in music and uh discovered movies but now i find myself as i've gotten older uh when i go back and hear all those songs from the early 80s or uh, 70s now and stuff that um that's that's what i listen to the it's, most isn't now. it weird how that happens it's, it's I, that's all i listen to it makes sense to me now it reminds me of of growing up uh and also i didn't I didn't understand country because I don't think you can understand country music until you've lived your life a little bit and had some suffering, some, uh, suffering and, <laughs> and some difficulties and just in everything, you know, and that's what uh, I didn't get at the time. I just went, oh, I don't like that, you know, but uh, but over over time, you know, like uh, I listen to old or that that style of country music as much as I listen to anything else right now. So that's what I play like most of the time on when I, if I'm if I choose my own music, my playlist, I've got my my 80s country uh stuff so uh yeah it's a lot of good stuff george jones uh uh barbara mandrell uh those were like the the big names when i when i was younger and uh of course i heard johnny cash and hear all the other the typical but like that was that was the main stuff a guy named don williams um that's the stuff that like i i understand it now and i've found myself during the covid uh lockdown just that's what i listen to the most very interesting how that happens that return to what our parents gave us. It's true about the suffering and the having to live through things to understand country. But some of that 80s country was almost kind of pop. It was kind of mixed between rock and country. And so, uh, so yeah, I get a lot of influence out of, out of that. And, and, and uh, especially, like, even some of the guitar stuff. Like, there's little melodies and things that I hear all the time, and I'm sure I'm somehow incorporating that in, into our music. It is so. very, very what we do as musicians is what we are listening to definitely bleeds itself into what we are composing. But that's a, a natural thing about being a songwriter, about inspiration and, and being creative. Yes, yes, definitely. I absolutely love hearing about that. What, was there ever stuff that like you brought into the house that was too much for your parents? Uh, probably everything. But, they, <laughs> but, I, but I also didn't. I didn't blast it in front of them. You know, I was respectful and uh, they knew I liked what I liked. You know, the same thing. I, I was I became obsessed with music almost the same way I became obsessed with, uh, you know, toys in the same same yeah. way. You know, so I think they and just looked at as a movies as well. A, you know, like, oh, he loved G.I. Joe and He-Man. This yes. is just a new version of that. And I yes. just uh, got into music. And, and uh, that's once I got in, I couldn't get out of it. So. How about your first music experience? Do you remember going to see like your first show, the first live music experience? Do you remember that show? First concert. Uh, it was a whole experience. The first first concert I saw was Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood. That wow. was the first. It was like 87, 88, I believe. Um, and I went through the whole go wait in line at the mall to get tickets. Yes. Did that. Skipped skip school. My that. brother did that for about, I don't know, stood in line three or four hours to yes. get 30th row tickets for Motley <laughs> Crue. Uh, but that was, a, that was a cool thing. I was The first experience was just, you know, never been to a concert, but just the line it, it, to get tickets for a Motley Crue concert in 1987 was, was a mile long, you know, yeah. and you get to see all these rock and roll guys and I'm a little 11 year old kid, you know, it's like, this is crazy, you know. Was it scary or was there like a sense of community already at that point? I, I wasn't scared. I was just like... I want a, I want long hair. I want <laughs> I want to, I want what do these guys do? You know, so it was uh definitely eye opening and then when I went to the concert it was just 
thousands of those same people, and it was just so it was cool. it was everything I. It was everything I, I thought it would be and, and more. Did you already have the bug at that point of wanting to be a musician at 11? Is it something that happened at that point, or was it afterwards? I think it was afterwards. I think after I saw... Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I was into, you know, I hadn't picked up an instrument yet, so I wasn't into, you know, knowing what I wanted to do yet. I knew I liked music, but... Uh, so I think it was after that, you know, I wanted to be in a band, but I didn't, I didn't know if I, if I could yet. But once I picked up a guitar and that, that's when things changed. I love that. Uh, do you remember your first time on stage? Yes. Uh, my first stage uh, show was 15 years old at my high school. We played after school and my first band, I was the rhythm guitarist and uh, we played like a 30 minute set after school in the auditorium and about 20 people showed up and I felt like a rock star. It, Hell was, yes. it, was, it was great. <laughs> so that was my first real show. I did a talent show uh, sixth grade years before that and I lip synced to a White Snake song to get this no girl's attention. Way. So that's cool that. Yeah. I got to get this girl's attention and it Did worked. It work, yeah. It totally <laughs> worked. And then I went, music can get me anything I want. Absolutely. So I pursued it. <laughs> I love that. Um, your voice, at what point did you start singing? You said guitar is the first thing that came to you. Did singing come as a, out of necessity, or was it something that just went hand-in-hand hand with guitar playing? Uh, basically, I joined the band when I was 15, uh, and it was just four guys, and we couldn't find a front guy. There was Everybody could play guitar, I love play drums, happens. couldn't find a front guy. So we finally found a guy, and he was there for about two months. We did one party at somebody's house. Uh, and and, and the, the show at the school that was you know the front guy, and then he left and joined the army, ah. and we're like that, and then we're and then we're then we're back to square one again. And I just one day I came in with a song I had wrote and I had had some lyrics to it, and I grabbed the microphone and started singing, and everybody was like, "Whoa, you've been hiding this from us? You can do this? Went, <laughs> can I?" <laughs> Does it sound all right? They were like, yes. You know, at the time, I'm, you know, 15 years old. My voice is pretty high at the time. So when I'm singing, my scale, it was just like, it, the first reaction was, you sound like Bon Scott. You get this high. And I'm like, that's not a bad place to start. <laughs> no. So at that point, once I realized I could do that, then we went from being a uh, four-piece looking for a front guy to just being a four-piece band, and I became the front guy. So that was a that was a big change, and it was awesome. It was a whole new step, and and uh, but I still miss playing guitar a little bit at the time. But I think for the most part, I once I realized I could be a front guy, that was a whole different level. Back to that White Snake lip sync. It's a little bit more freedom as a vocal. I'm a vocalist as well, yeah. so. We yeah. get to, we get, there's less things tying us down. Exactly. I don't have to think as much. <laughs> no. If I got to think about lyrics, singing, and, and playing crowd. guitar, and doing yeah. all that, that's a lot, a lot of work. Interaction with the crowd is an important part of a frontman, though. Yes. It's an extra job that we have that other people they have a little bit for showmanship, but having the pulse to talk to the crowd is and and feeling the pulse of a crowd and reading a room is something that lies more on our, our shoulders. Yes. Yes. I think I've gotten pretty good at it over the years. I, I would so. certainly hope so. <laughs> every night I'm like, all right, how good are you? How do you get these people to, to get them to scream every night? So far, I, I, I think you're doing pretty good there, Wednesday. <laughs> Lyrics, uh, how important, were you someone that wrote when, when you were younger? You mentioned that you came in with a song written. Is that something that you've always done, writing for pleasure? Yeah, I mean, even before I even was playing guitar, I used I had just a notebook. I would write 
I could write full songs in my head. I could hear really? the guitar. I could hear drums. That's fucking awesome. I could hear everything. And I still do the same thing in, to this day, uh, except now I know how to actually play the yeah. guitar parts instead of just hearing it in my head. And I used to, you know, I had a notebook when I was probably in sixth grade. This is, you know, pre-Motley Crue concert. Uh, just all these songs. And I was probably ripping off other songs in my head. I wrote a song called Slut City when, when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> Slut City. Your, your parents are proud. What was the lyrics for that? Slut City. Uh, oh, fuck. I remember the lyrics the other day. I was thinking about it. Uh, come jump in the pile. Give them an inch and they'll take a mile. <laughs> Slut City. <laughs> they'll leave you stranded, but with a smile. <laughs> Something like that. The, the, the Motley Crew, the Motley Crew inspiration is strong. Like, yeah, check out this song. Wrote. I'm uh, I'm 10 years old. This is called Slut City. <laughs> was that something you enjoyed in school? Writing? Yeah. Something I mean, like that. Just, were you successful? Like, let's say in English class. Let's say. No, no, no. I because was very unsuccessful with grades. Because uh, they were telling you what to do, or was it more so? Yeah. It didn't fall into. Your I started interests. cutting school off early like i was good the first couple years and then i just it was like i don't want to do this anymore i don't like it and school was like prison for me it was like i was trying to find any way to escape and get out if i could and then my later years in school i just stopped going so uh you know I, i say this all the time i didn't graduate from school but i did go to the very last day of 12th grade so i completed my my days i did my time they just didn't give me a golden ticket at the end. <laughs> well, know, you've still so. done quite well with yourself. Though, yeah, right? that's what I'm yeah. saying. I've never been asked for a diploma in what I do. No, no. no. And, you know, <laughs> and as things are going on throughout many years of looking at education, um, there's many different forms of education, and people that are excel and extremely intelligent, such as yourself, doesn't have to go through standardized schooling anymore. The best education I ever got was joining a band and going on tour and traveling the world. I mean, just this is the best education you can get and doing it for so long. I mean, you understand the little box you live in when you go to Japan or you go to Germany or you go to Russia or anything and just even here. It's just such a different thing than, than where I come from. So I used to think the world was, was this big and then now I see it from all perspectives. So I have I have different views of everything, you know, and when anything comes up, like I was a kid from the 80s when it was the Cold War and we're watching all the movies about Russia, you know, and all this, Russia's bad, and then, you know, and then we go to Russia and play and we're treated like the Beatles there. And then now it's like, oh, now now Russia's the enemy again. I'm like, exactly. no, I can't see it that way. No. So I just, that's the different views you get from, from traveling and stuff. So I've just, I've just, I've learned some, I've, uh, I was always a good, polite Southern gentleman, but I think traveling the world has made me more, more, uh, you know, more, more of a gentleman. I'm, I'm respectful to, uh, to everything. Whereas before I didn't understand it and would bitch about it. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. Uh, your ninth studio album, Horrifier came out October 7th via Napalm Records. Uh, banger of a record. I've been enjoying it since then. Uh, checking it out. Um, a lot had to do with the pandemic, lockdown, you alone in your house, isolated, writing this album. God, you made it sound really even even worse. <laughs> isolated, <laughs> I <watched> alone. <laughs> yeah. I've been watching. Uh, I watched a bunch of interviews before coming to have a chat with you. So uh, you, you didn't want it to be like boring and like be like a lamenting album. You wanted to be fun, loud, and fast-paced, which you've definitely succeeded. But talk to me about that decision, you guys. Could 
couldn't get together because there was all the restrictions and you guys didn't want to dance through any of those loopholes. Bands nowadays are based all across the country in different different countries. So you decided just to do it yourself. Yeah, I mean, we were go- we were originally we were going to give back with with um, Michael from Devil Driver who did the last record. But he lives, you know, an hour and a half from me in California. And sometimes that commute back and forth can and LA traffic can be two hours to get to the studio, eight hours in the studio, two hours to get back. It's just like, it was just too much. <laughs> and then plus, you know, all the COVID restrictions, everybody was scattered all around. So I just moved to Burbank. Uh, I got a new new place there. I had a cool little garage slash studio in the back that was, that was set up perfectly for this. Very cool. So we all talked and went, why don't we just do it ourselves? We did it like this years ago. We used to yeah. record on our own, like, we're not dumb. We know how to do this. So um, instead of spending all of our advance money on a producer and and or and more, uh, we decided just to <laughs> try it ourselves. So we, uh, you know, initially Ramon and I, our guitarists, got together and put the music together, the ideas. We all kind of came in and did our own little little parts, um, but we weren't all there collectively to hear it. So once everybody kind of did their parts. Um, and I did all the vocals last, so I didn't have anybody to say that's good or not, except Which for me scary. and my girlfriend. It's scary. <laughs> and it's scary. So that's why it took me forever to get confident with my vocals or <laughs> anything. I'd spend a week on a song, and um, so I think that was the strangest part. Is I had to be the the guy at the end to to go. Is this good enough? Yeah. You know, and that, it was just a weird thing because normally the last two records we had the producers to tell us, "Oh, that's good enough." You know, like. Uh, so yeah, as, um, and then we also had so much time to to do as well. Nitpick, so I don't, I don't know if I, and going back I don't know if I like it. that much time anymore. I almost really just <laughs> have someone go cool, just just knock it out quick. But uh, but yeah, like you said, I uh, you know I I didn't want to make a post-COVID record that was just sad and 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 like because everybody had a shitty time during that. Some of us had worse times, but I think anybody had a good time during the lockdown. So. I didn't want to make a record whining about it, so I just wanted to make a fun record. I've always been about escapism. You know, my music yeah. and what I do has always been for people to forget their real lives. I didn't want to make a record about everybody's real life for the past two years, no. so uh, we didn't do that. We just, you know, I was like, what, what do you know best? Think about what you know. I know Halloween. I know Christine. Uh, I know horror movies, and uh, so I just did what I did. Is there ever a moment, back to the too close before I jump to that one, um, I'm very lucky my guitarist is my producer, so to have him, he's the one that says, Matt, that was good, and I, I get this like sense of relief, and we move on to the next thing. So when you would showcase your material that you finally feel is good enough and your girlfriend thinks is good enough, uh, to your bandmates, are you nervous that they say no, and how often do they actually say no? I think we're all pretty... We've known each other long enough that we can say if something's not good yeah. without hurting each other's feelings because I've always said look if you don't say something sucks the fans are going to tell you it sucks the social media is going to tell you it sucks so you might as well be your you know get it out there you know but we're not we're all like best friends so we don't ever have any you know every once in a while like anybody will have disagreements on stuff but uh that's what that's the thing you know if um if we had all been there together we all would have that would have been a lot easier. Come on, that sounds good. You know, like I kept sending it. I would, faster, it it right? took me two weeks ago. Is that good enough to send to them? It's so weird how you that know, happens. That's yeah. weird, man. Yeah. I don't know. COVID would just made me weirder. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah. 
Uh, when you're coming up, you mentioned Christine, you mentioned other horror stuff, writing lyrics, creating this atmosphere, this world for people. Do you feel like at any point you will have covered it all? Um, kind of. <laughs> I mean, you know, after doing this, this being the ninth record, and, yeah. um, and I've got other albums, you know, with Murder Dolls and the Frankenstein Drag Queens before that, it's kind of the same thing. Is there like a new movie that comes out and you're like, fuck yes? <laughs> not really. It's more I find an old movie that I didn't know about. So I'm not really it's very into, cool that, yeah. not really into to new, newer stuff. I, I try I try to give it a shot, but like the CGI stuff kind of kills me. I mean, I'm not a video game guy either, so I just, when I see these new movies with these CGI effects, they just look like a video game to me. I'm, I have I'm, it right here. Special effects versus practical. Yeah. So to me, I'm, I'm, you know, I... I just watched the Swamp Thing the other day, the original Swamp Thing, and I'm like, this is perfect for me. These terrible rubber suits and, <laughs> and, and you know, effects are exactly what I've always liked. Anything that looks touchable and realistic yeah. to me. Organic. Uh, but but I, I have seen some CGI stuff that's amazing. I'm not dogging all that. It's just, uh, for me, my favorite type of horror movies are the ones that didn't need that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I was watching Reanimator the other night. Hell yeah. And just seeing all the ways they did all the effects and the severed heads. Hell and yes. The, it was no CGI. It was all just, it was done practical effects. It was amazing. I think it's amazing too and I'm, I'm completely on board and it, I watched, I think it was what's it's called Morbius, mm -hmm. something last night which is dating oh. also this, this chat that we're having. I didn't get it. I don't understand. But Morbius we, with Jared Leto. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it was all CJ. Anyways. <laughs> um, you, <laughs> the cover art, you, you love. It's as important for you as the music itself, creating that atmosphere. It's the first introduction, at least that we used to have, to yeah, albums yeah. back in the day. So I understand the importance of having something that is genuine and that matches the concept and the feeling and the atmosphere that you want to create. You mentioned that the artist created like a He-Man-style Skeletor castle mixed with King Diamond, and you were automatically in love. How involved are you? in the creation of these things, how, how much guidance do you give the artists? I've been working with this artist uh, named Johnny Bush. I met him during the pandemic. He's a fan and he sent some artwork that was killer and we just kept working together. And um, I really liked all the stuff he did. And then when it came time, he's like, I'd love to give your, your next album a shot. And I went, all right. And we, and again, we talk like every day. So and he gets what I, what I do. I don't have to explain it too much. And we went through a couple different ideas. And then I just, I was looking at one of my He-Man toy boxes and the posters. And I went, those look as epic as album covers back in the 80s. Hell like, yes. Why don't we do like a Wednesday 13 Skeletor castle, <laughs> Dracula castle. So we did that. And then he, what you see the album cover, he sent it back and the little carriage at the bottom. And I went, whoa. I was like, that looks like the King Diamond. Was it Ab Abigail? I believe so, yeah. yeah. And he's like, does it? And we both <laughs> looked it up. And, went, and then so he was like, whoa. So that's, so some people have seen that in there as well. So again, you can't go wrong with a King Diamond album cover mixed with a Masters of the Universe inspired cover. It just looks like something that I would have walked into a store when I was younger and I couldn't stop staring at it. Uh, like when I saw Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast or Kiss Destroyer on vinyl, I just could not stop staring at it. I wanted to know what it was about. I wanted to get inside the record. And um, I think that's something that's kind of lost a lot these days. You know? Absolutely. So in the digital super, age. Super important to me for that. that this is as important as the music. It's all one big piece. People go, well, you know, the music should come first. Like, well, of course it comes first. 
but you, but you, why can't you put the cherry on top? Why can't you paint it up? You know. I definitely I agree with you. The music does come first, but you've created something as an experience live too, which is important. You know, inspired by Kiss, Twisted Sister, Alice Cooper. A show. It's more than just the music is a part of it, but the show is is a very nice cherry on top. Uh, how much uh, limitations financially versus your creativity? I can imagine. I know myself that I have these massive fucking ideas, but obviously financially you can't kill. How annoying is that? It's the most annoying thing of all. <laughs> if I had a budget, I would give people a show that would rival zombie kiss you know any any if i had the budget uh but i don't so and also we didn't the venues we played didn't have the room for that type of budget anyway so exactly yeah. so we we make it work you know uh, i've been able to do that for a long time i mean i i started up started out in little clubs i'm still playing little clubs um and i i know i know how to work them so and plus in these little places sometimes just your persona and your image yeah. can be as big as a pyro show yeah especially in a small club when it's packed and the fans are there you know you're that close that intimate so uh but again i always dream of that arena show or i can write out the budget and i come down in the ufo and you know <laughs> that kind of stuff like i used to i used to draw the stages when i was a kid in the back of my back Fuck of class yes. i like oh i want to come out of this laser beam you know like <laughs> like kiss on meets the phantom of the park and you know, uh, so just big, big, big ideas like that. You know, I, I agree, and, and you definitely you find ways around it, such as with your "You're So Hideous." Mm -hmm. You found a real contortionist to play yeah. the girl, which is just smart and amazing, and it's so fucking creepy. There's no CGI; it's all real. It's just, it's amazing. I realized when we were doing that video, like videos are okay to me. I, I kind of like them. I kind of hate them. Um, but when I walked in that day and I'm like, here we are trying to recreate the exorcist. That's hard enough in itself to try to recreate it without making, it look, without making yeah. it look stupid and campy. Um, but when I walked in and saw the girl, the actress, I was like, this is, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I just let her, just let was, her shine. it was great, man. <laughs> and, uh, that was such a cool thing. And again, it goes to show like it's no CGI stuff. It's just a real person doing doing that stuff and I would love to put a behind the scenes out of that because you can't hear it in the video but like she was like screaming and oh, doing all this yeah. stuff and I, the first couple takes we did of it we were like it was gave us goosebumps we were kind of looking around like man this is this is intense. So that's the only thing I think that misses from the video. If, if you could actually hear this, and the same for the hideous video. If you could, I mean, the uh, yeah, the uh, Inside's Out video. If you could have heard the people's reaction, it was it was awesome. What was in that vomit? <laughs> it was uh, yogurt with green food coloring. Really? That's vanilla it. vanilla yogurt. I didn't want to have. They were like, let's get some pea soup. I went, I'm not no, eating that no. shit. <laughs> I was like, you're going to throw something in my face. I better be good. Like, what do you got? Well, we can do some like, it's yogurt, green food coloring. And uh, the only thing I didn't really enjoy about that um, was we did so many takes of it. So by the time it was done, I was just uh, like a milkshake with, with uh, whipped cream on top. And it just, it started to dry oh, and then it started to crack just, yeah. and it just turned to like just dust. Yeah. So it was just, I was like, I can't wait to be done with this and just shower. It was so <laughs> disgusting, but I knew it was, it was worth, worth the, uh, all the trouble for the video. I knew it would, it would come out good. It worked out. It's fucking awesome. Uh, this is a sober Vox and Hops episode. Um, I'd love to dig into the moment. Back, you've recorded Necrophase. 
as a rebirth that was your first sober album do you remember the moment when or the morning or the after too many mornings of waking up pretending that you didn't drink a whole bottle the night before <laughs> that you went this is it i'm done yeah i mean you know i've i've did this several times in my life uh, you know again i was a late drinker to the party i didn't start till i 27, something really? like that. Really? I mean, here I was imagining all the times that you were no, cutting school. No, you were off no, drinking no, 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 at the no, park no. or something. Oh, no. I, uh, I didn't do any of that. Um, so, you know, and this is, you know, I, I did that several times. I went three or four years, stopped three or four years, went another three or four. And it was just one of those things where I just wasn't, I was depressed. I wasn't feeling good. And I, and I stopped. And, uh, you know, but again, I, I still smoke weed. You know, uh, I just started smoking weed till I was 34. Really? Didn't okay. even try it. So I'm a late bloomer. So I'm thinking cocaine will come around 50, <laughs> 60, heroin. Uh, see what else we can get into on, on the way. <laughs> what, what turned you? Why at 27? Why why at 34? Why why did, did these things spiral into your life later than most people? Well, 26, 27 was when Murder Doll started. Okay. And I went on tour. And uh, I remember Joey. You know, he's like, what do you drink? And I went, Kool-Aid. <laughs> no, seriously, what do you drink? I went, I don't drink. He's, you don't drink? I went, no. He goes, oh. I said, well, I got, I had a drink when I was like 16 or 17, this stuff called Boone's Farm. It was like in a bottle. It was just this wine, sweet, awful. Uh, and I drank it like at a party one time. And so the next day of rehearsal, I show up and Joey's got two bottles of Boone's Farm sitting there for me. Really? And I remember I drank and I got a little drunk and he was laughing. I was making other people laugh and it kind of cured my social anxiety a little bit. And then I was like, whoa, I can, I can be funny. I can be relaxed. And that just kind of kicked it in, you know, but again, I didn't go overboard. I, you know, I, you know, it's easy to go overboard. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I have several times and, and, uh, yeah, just before that record, I just wanted to get my shit together. And, um, but again, I probably smoked more weed after that, uh, to make, to make up for it. So weeds, weeds, my friend. And that's why they call me on the side weeds day. I like that. Weeds day 13. That, that's nice for, for a collab question I have coming up, but, uh, <laughs> is that how you, you cope with the, the social anxiety now through marijuana? Um, or is that something that you don't need anymore? I just, I still just have social anxiety. I don't know. It's just it's a weird thing that singers, you know, I, a lot was, of singers have it. It sucked. It was, I was doing pretty good. And then the pandemic got me back in that quiet zone again. So yeah. now my first like appearance, like the first thing I did out of the pandemic was a horror movie convention. Yeah. And dude, I was just full on panic attack. Oh no. Just, I was like, how am I going to just get out and talk to people? It was just a weird thing. So, uh. So yeah, that's always, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get over the social anxiety. I'm still that guy that can go on stage, can scream, yell at people all day, but then I go, well, I'm kind of shy. And I go, you can't be shy. I'm like, I'm fucking shy. Yeah, yeah. you know, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to explain to people. <laughs> I'm lucky that I have the podcast that's really pushed me to speak to strangers because I'm also very, very shy. I'm lucky that this is something that I, through the ritual of conversations that I've learned that I can speak to anyone. Right. But yeah. it's work. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. During the pandemic, I did. I started like a, uh, a Patreon fan club where I did like live stories on three different yeah. Instagrams. And I was doing two or three live stories a week and just talking for an hour. 
it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. And to not, and to not, and to not sound like an idiot. That's the hardest part. Because we, ju- we judge ourselves there, too. Yeah, so I'd watch these, do these little live stories and go back and watch and go, oh, oh you what are you doing them. with your... No, don't watch them. That's the worst. <laughs> what are you doing with your eyes? What are you doing with your mouth there? Stop that. Wear sunglasses. <laughs> don't do this. So, yeah, it's the same thing. I'm watching myself doing it's like, interviews. It's like you're tracking, yeah. tracking vocals all over again. Yeah, it, ne- it never ends. <laughs> Poor you. <laughs> so your first tour back, sober, there was no issues. It was pure. You were, were, were you worried at first? Did people associate you as the party guy that was drinking? Luckily, people just bring us a lot of weed. <laughs> it's just, they just literally, they go, how you doing? I shake people's hands and they're just handing me off Amazing. nuggets of weed. Okay, good. So it's you a good have thing. a good life there. I like that. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Happened today. Montreal's there it good. is. Montreal's See, look at that. That was the handoff right there from today. The Montreal's very good for that, boys. <laughs> What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason, and I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions, lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. Into mental health, it's something important for me. I've been asking this for the past few months now. How do you cope when you're not feeling well, when you're feeling down in the dumps? What is your tactic to make yourself feel better, if there is any? Um, I don't know. I mean, usually music is and being on tour can cure all that. I can have a shitty day and then hour before showtime, I can zone out of it. So music is has always helped the live front. When I'm not on tour at home, it's still kind of music. You know, like I said, I can I can put on those old 80s country songs and that can heal me. Same thing with my, um, uh, the, my toy collection at home. Like I have two major like rooms just full of toys and I made this one room, it's like my sanctuary, which is all G.I. Joe He-Man. I can just go Fuck in yes. and just sit down and just be like, um... Is there a white whale that you don't have? Uh, there's a lot of stuff uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm missing, but I've got, I've done pretty well. Like just uh, been collecting off tour. Like the guys saw, saw my my toy room. I've been trying to the idea. I was like, one day I'm gonna have a room where I just walk in, all my GI Joe set up, all my He-Man set up, just like it was a toy store, and I did it. And, that's uh, amazing. So that's my little my little fountain of youth. I can go in there and feel young again and forget about the real world. I love that. What if one of your guys were in the bandwagon right now? They're all around us. What if one of your guys is not feeling well? What is your tactic to help them feel better that day? Troy, what happens when you don't feel well? How do I make you feel better? (laughs) (laughs) He never feels well, he says. He he keeps drinking. He keeps drinking. No. Family fucking feud. Are you joking? You know that's what we do on on the bandwagon all the time. Oh, yeah. We all watch, uh, we usually watch Family Feud. Hell yes. Uh, Today we've been watching Dark Side of the Ring, watching all this cool wrestling stuff. uh, Hell yes. I don't know. We all get along. I mean, we've. We've been on this bus now since beginning of September, and none of us have tried to kill each other. Not even a little bit. That's that's good. Hell yes. Shout, uh, out, to, shout out to Obituary for introducing Cryptopsy to Family Feud. No. Family Feud. Steve Harvey Hell yes. is the best host of Family Feud. He's so good. He, he's the best. <laughs> I love Richard Dawson, but... Steve Harvey's the man. I think Steve Harvey's a little less hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I have a few more questions. Uh, collabs, you mentioned weed. Weeds Day, people call you that. Um, I love making beers. It's what I do. I've made teas with Satanic Tea Company, Pitch Black North. I've made coffees before for Cryptopsy. What would be the perfect Wednesday 13 collab? Uh, I was thinking the other day, I want to find a nut company and have Wednesday 13's nuts. <laughs> the commercial will be like, hey, this holiday season, put my nuts in your mouth. <laughs> Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Don't even think about it. Just like, please eat my nuts. Here, eat a couple, a couple of them. You might like it. Perfect. Share them with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> Have one nut. <laughs> one last question. Uh, I typically ask what your hangover cure is. That doesn't apply here. I'd love to hear about the silver lining of the lockdown for you, that time at home. What is the best thing that happened out of that time? Uh, I fostered some cats for, for a couple of weeks. That was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only good thing I'm trying to think out of the lockdown. Um, no, that's not a good answer. I don't know. I mean, did you finish your toy sanctuary during the lockdown? I thought I did, but now I realize I, there's so much more I want to do, too. I'm just never satisfied. So, uh, But, no, the, the toy thing was a good rescue. I uh, All these shops in Los Angeles closed down, so I went on Facebook Marketplace and was looking up all these stores that had all these giant glass cases, and they were selling for 20 bucks. Yeah. So I went and bought all these cases. So now all my toys are in displays now, so it looks legit. They used to just be everywhere, and dusting was a major problem. My monsters figures are like they actually were in the house from the 60s. They had so much cobwebs and dust on them, you know, so... Uh, so yeah, my, my toys were the, I got a little bit of time with the toys, but also, I, I don't know, the just having two years off, doing the fan club thing, getting to know my fans a little bit, asking them questions, like, you know, I got to listen to my music for the first time, because I've been on tour, I don't go back and listen to my music, I listen to it when we're on stage, but like, I got to go back and listen to my records and go, which record do you like the best? So, I don't know, a lot of reflecting time on in, in there, so... It wasn't as, I, I guess I made the best out of it as much as I could. It's the only thing we could do, Wednesday. Wednesday, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me, talking about your life, music. Um, I hope you enjoy that Pitch Black North Satanic Tea. I love Satanic stuff, anything. <laughs> yeah. Now I can drink Satan. I'm into it. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was an awesome conversation. Uh, I actually recorded this episode a long time ago. It was actually early October. I was sitting in his bandwagon. It felt so cool to be back in a bandwagon. I hadn't been in a bandwagon since 2019 when Cryptopsy did that tour with Aborted. Hell over North America. That was a damn good time. It felt nice to be back in a bandwagon, though, to have that low hum rumbling of the generator, as you guys heard throughout the episode. It's hard to get rid of that. When I'm setting up for Sober February, I'm always uh, afraid that I'm not going to have any episodes. So when I found out that Wednesday was sober, I was like, yes, I'm going to use this for a Sober February episode, and I'm damn glad that I did. This was a great conversation. Massive cheers to Wednesday for hanging out with me, and the, the whole band was basically sitting around us, listening to us have our conversation. They chimed in a little bit here and there. It was a, a fun, fun, fun night. 
Massive thanks to Wednesday 13 and the rest of the band for being so damn cool and letting me come into their little bubble and have a conversation. I really appreciated that. That was really, really cool of you guys. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week that contains all the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You'll get to see which episodes I have coming up. You'll get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. And trust me, I always got a lot of stuff going on. I have two, three massive things going on behind the scenes right now that I'm sort of hinting at in the newsletter. You will also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently, and you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' Metal Architect has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. There's always a lot of things going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast, and I hate when you miss a single thing, so please do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I will be back next week with two episodes, one on Tuesday and another on Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talk to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.